Brooklyn Nets pull off a monster trade for James Harden. A four-team monster trade. Have the Nets just form the next big three in the NBA? Or have they just reformed a big two when you consider what's going on with Kyrie Irving? It's the NBA Cypher. Let's go. So when you look at this deal, let's first get into what each team gets and how it benefits each franchise. Let's start with the team that it began with, the Rockets. They get back Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, a young wing player in Kuroots, but the key to the deal for them is the potential to build on their future. Three first-rounders from the Nets. They get four first-round swaps, and they also get another first-round from the Bucks. So when you look at the Rockets, they have put themselves into a position where they can still contend for a playoff spot this year. Think about this. Victor Oladipo, who actually has played well this season in a new role with the Pacers, but you get that Oladipo, John Wall's rounding into shape. Look at what Boogie Cousins can provide for you coming off the bench. Think about what Christian Wood has done in free agency since he's come over. He's been worth what he's been paid and then some. Eric Gordon is still there. A veteran, a tough guy, a 3 and D guy. P.J. Tucker is still there. I think the Rockets, with this deal, has put themselves, like I said, to contend for a playoff spot, stay relevant in the now, but they now have the assets going forward to rebuild. But they don't have to do it in one big chunk. They can do it in a gradual way. And look, if Oladipo plays well for them, if he, Wall, would click, you can re-sign him. If Oladipo struggles with the trade, with everything that's going on, guess what? They can move him again for maybe another pick or two. So I think that Houston, considering everything that's happened leading up to this, I think the Rockets made out well for the present and the future. When you look at what the Pacers get by trading Oladipo to the Rockets and getting back Karis LeVert, when you add a guy like Karis LeVert who can put it on the deck, attack the basket, create for others, add him to Malcolm Brogdon, Sabonis, and then you're going to get back TJ Warren. I like that quartet. Indiana was already playing well. Brogdon and Sabonis are both playing at all-star levels. You add a guy like Levert. I think the Pacers has elevated their franchise. I think the Pacers have put themselves in a better position to contend. You can look at rosters and get caught up with names. The top of Milwaukee's roster is impressive. But if you look at Milwaukee's overall roster versus what the Pacers can put on the floor at any given time, I think Indiana is a more balanced team than the Bucs are. Why this works for the Cavs? You're getting Jared Allen. You're getting not just a young big, but a young, talented, developing big. He's averaging 11-11, just under two blocks, and he's still only 22 years old. Obviously, they have Andre Drummond on their roster. He's averaging about 18 points, 14 rebounds. 
But I don't think they're going to want to pay what Andre Drummond will be asking for when he's up for free agency. When you look at the guard tandem of Garland and Sexton, both 2021, and you add Jared Allen to that, this is a smart move for the Cavs because I think they're putting it together a young core that can develop to be together, grow together, and get that cohesiveness that a young team needs. I think the Cavaliers have made a really smart move. Obviously, you add a guy like Torin Prince, solid veteran rotation player. He might not be there long term, but this is still a great deal for the Cavaliers. And then let's go to the top. Let's go to where it should finish, the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, it's interesting because just the other day I was having a conversation with H and I said the truth of the matter is the NBA no longer has any big threes. Look in the conferences and there are no big threes. There are a lot of big twos and there's potential big threes, but right now there are no big threes. And when I say big three, I mean that at least all three of them are proven all-stars and one of them is probably more likely a superstar. There are none of those in the NBA. And just like that, Brooklyn pulls off this deal. The only problem with that is this. On paper, they're a big three. But when you break down each individual, when you look at what Harden did to get his way out of Houston, because that was a bad breakup, a really bad breakup. And I'm not down on James Harden in terms of his talent and what he brings to the court. Even out of shape, nowhere near the best version of himself, the man was averaging 25 points, five rebounds, and over 10 assists a game. That, and that's the out of shape version of him. And we're talking about an eight-time All-Star, three-time scoring champ, seven-time All-NBA, former MVP, sixth man of the year. He's done everything but win a title. James Harden has been in the playoffs for over a decade straight. He's been to multiple conference finals. He's gone to an NBA finals, obviously, early in his career as a six-man. What he's not been able to do is be the best player on a title-winning team. Well, guess what? He doesn't have to be the best player on this team. With Kevin Durant, out of the three players, when you look at Harden, Kyrie, and KD, the one guy that can play with anybody who's not naturally ball dominant is Durant. The one guy that truly loves basketball, minus any kind of agenda that just wants to ball, again, that's KD. Now, when you start matching up what the strength of Harden's and Kyrie's games are, they are both ISO players. They're both ball dominant players. I will say this though, Harden is actually the more natural facilitator. He's a great passer. He really is. James Harden has terrific court vision. He's always been a naturally gifted passer. I just don't know how those dynamics will work. And not just on the court. Because prior to this trade being pulled off, Kyrie hadn't played. He just bounced for personal reasons. And that's very much a Kyrie thing. So when you look at those dynamics of how Kyrie can kind of check out from time to time, and then you're bringing in Harden with the baggage he's coming with from Houston, it's easy to just look at the three of them and go, 
stack squad, Nets are going to win the title. And, and sports don't play out that way. It's not as simple as that. There will be an issue of agenda, what all three are committed to, what all three truly want. And then there's chemistry. Never mind skill set, but actual chemistry. And then there's going to be sacrifice. When you have three dynamic talents like this, any big three, someone's going to have to sacrifice. And like I just heard earlier, there's not a Kevin Love in this big three. There's not a Chris Bosh in this big three. These are three dudes that can drop 25 to 30 on a given night. Now, look, I don't know how Steve Nash is going to delegate their minutes. But to me, if he's going to even attempt to make it work, and that's providing Kyrie comes back and he's truly committed to this team, because right now it's anybody's guess where Kyrie's head is at. And I'm not so sure Kyrie is overwhelmed with the idea of James Harden being there because he knows he's going to have to sacrifice some shots. And I think James Harden is willing to sacrifice numbers if it truly gives him an opportunity to win. He doesn't have to be the best player, but what if he's one of the best players on a title-winning team? That still matters. That still goes on his career resume. That'll be still part of James Harden's career legacy. I'll tell you this. When you look at what this Nets team can be, and when you look at, say, a team like the Bucks, I do like them going after and acquiring Drew Holiday. But if you've been watching Milwaukee, and I've watched a lot of their games, they use Drew Holiday in the same manner as they use Eric Bledsoe. They've basically turned Drew Holiday into Eric Bledsoe. If you get Drew Holiday on your team with his skill set, whatever thing he can do in terms of being able to attack the basket, shoot the mid-range, and shoot the three, even though he's not a great three-point shooter, he's a, he's a good enough three-point shooter that you have to respect what he can do. Drew Holiday has to take more than 11 shots on your team. That, that makes no sense to me at all. And they're running their offense, as they have done the last two or three years, the exact same way. Drew Holiday's got to take 15 to 16 shots a game. You, you, he's the kind of player, because of his talent, if you don't make him and keep him engaged and aggressive, he's a lesser player. He's a lesser version of himself. And I'm saying that to say this. Let's say this is what the Bucs are going to look like all through the regular season. That's not to say this, this won't be one of the top three, four teams in the East. What I am saying is the playoffs come. Defenses don't just stiffen. It becomes more of a half-court game. It becomes more of a grind, more of an execution, and more about your ability to make shots. The Brooklyn Nets, they have three dudes that can create for themselves and make shots. They also have three dudes that shoot over 80% from the free throw line. The problem when you look at Milwaukee, and I'm a Giannis fan, but I know he has his weaknesses and his flaws. And his obviously biggest weakness is his ability to hit perimeter shots. I can appreciate and I admire the way that 
He's trying to get around this. He's taking five threes per game. The problem is he only shoots 28% from three. So more times than not, he is a self-check from the three-point line. It gets worse. When you're as physical and as attacking a player as Giannis is, obviously he gets to the line over 10 times a game. That hurts opposing teams, but not nearly as much when you only shoot 62% from the free throw line. That's something that will come back to haunt you even more so in the postseason when teams will hack a Shaq or hack a Giannis in this case, knowing they'd much rather send him to the line than let him get a dunk. I said this before. I stand by this. Adding Drew helps, but if you're going to use him the same way as Eric Bledsoe, and you really didn't replace George Hill and a few of the other role players, I think they actually have less overall firepower. And if they're going to use him in this manner, it will have little to no impact. And I know you only, to me, you only judge teams like the Bucks, And we used to judge Harden's Rockets and Chris Paul's Clippers and so on on what they do in the postseason. Looking at what Brooklyn has done, even though they didn't get Harden, I like what Philadelphia has done with some of their younger players because they have more guys and can take you off the bounce, attack the basket, shoot the three. It It's set up to where if Boston pulls off one move, and they don't have to get a superstar, but let's just say another player that can get buckets, I think the Bucs are going to be in trouble in the first round of the playoffs right now. When you look at the contenders in the East, I think Milwaukee ranks below Philly. I think Milwaukee, while, like I said, top of the roster, yes, you've got Giannis and Middleton. But I don't know that Giannis and Middleton, along with Drew Holiday, is better than Brogdon, Sabonis, Warren, and now Levert. So in the big picture, in the Eastern Conference, yes, of course, on paper, with this move, the Nets go to the top of the ladder in terms of expectations, in terms of favorite to come out of the East. But the subplot is, can they make this work with those big three? Not with skill, not with talent, but can they make it work with their egos and their different agendas? Maybe a more interesting question to ask, despite what we think of them on paper, did the Nets knowingly make this move thinking they might plan on moving Kyrie Irving? Do you try to make this big three work? Or do you move Kyrie and get some other assets that can help you right now? Maybe nobody that's individually on his level, but maybe you get two or three pieces that deepens your team, adds to your depth, to your chemistry. Maybe someone that can fall in line and be more about team, be more committed to the franchise than self. I'm not saying they're going to trade Kyrie. I'm not. But I'll, I'll tell you this. They did not make this move without thinking of that possibility because of the, because of the way Kyrie has behaved lately. And look, this is a Kyrie Irving thing. He is one of the most gifted players in the NBA. Uh, never mind size. I'm just talking about talent, ability. I mean, what can't he do? The, his shot-making ability, 
his handles, his ability to attack, score over bigger people. He can do anything on the floor that any player can do, and then some. He's that skilled. His handles that live. Kyrie, people, we don't even think about it, but Kyrie's jump shot is water. He's not on Steph's level or Clay's level, but but he's not far from that. He's that gifted a shooter. We get caught up in that handle, but when he raises up, more times than not, you can start walking down the court the other way. That's money. Can Kyrie lock back in, blend back into the roster, become committed to winning a title, even if it means, yes, his numbers will come down? Maybe all of their numbers will take a bit of a hit, but for the greater good to bring a title to Brooklyn, worth it, more than worth it. But I'm going to say it one more time. Is it possible that the Nets will move Kyrie Irving before the trade deadline? To be clear, fam, so you heard me right. In no way am I saying the Nets are going to trade Kyrie Irving. I'm just talking about the possibility. If your Nets management, you knew what you were signing up for when you brought him in, but you brought him in because you wanted Durant that bad. You knew that by bringing along Kyrie, it would get you KD. That's his boy. The question is, knowing how Durant thinks, he's all about basketball. This is a calculated move. Durant's thinking, I got Kyrie, I got James, let's go do something great, let's win this title. That's where KD's head is at. That's what he's all about. But let's say Kyrie is still kind of in and out and and not all the way committed. I think that will be the disconnect between he and KD. And maybe Nets management are trying to hedge their bets. Hoping for the best with this big three. But if worst case scenario rears rears its head, do you move on from Kyrie? And I would say, yes, you do. And that's strange to say when you realize that if you're just a numbers guy, he's averaging 27 points, over six assists a game, shooting 50% from the floor, 43% from three, hasn't missed a free throw yet. And if you're big on PER, he has a PER right now of 27. His career PER is 22. By the numbers, Kyrie Irving is playing the best basketball of his career. But Brooklyn didn't bring on Kevin Durant coming off a monstrous Achilles injury at age 32, thinking about the future. They brought KD there at age 32 because they believed if he was healthy, he could help them win now. So, yes, you bring in James Harden, who at age 31 is still in his prime as well. And They mortgage the future. All those picks are gone. But they're not thinking about picks. They're thinking about the now. And if Kyrie Irving gets in the way of winning right now, then Kyrie Irving will no longer be a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Before I get into my top 10 players in the NBA, I want to get a shout out and salute, plus a speedy recovery to Thomas Bryant of the Wizards, to Bogdan Bogdanovich of the Hawks, Because it's guys like that, that even though I know the NBA is a star-driven league and we enjoy watching the All-Stars and the Superstars, guys like P.J. Tucker, 
who grind their way into having a career and be impactful on winning teams. Guys like Cameron Payne, who was the 14th pick in the 2015 draft, struggled, was out of the league for a couple of years, comes back on Phoenix in the bubble, plays lights out, gets a new deal. They bring him back, and he's playing great for them again. This season, he's found his way. He's found his place and his role in this league. Eight points a game, four assists, over 50% from the field, over 40 from the three-point line. I'm happy for guys like Cameron Payne, P.J. Tucker, and others. And I'm saying that to say this about Thomas Bryant of the Wizards. He was drafted by my Lakers, and the kid was all heart, but he struggled at finishing at the rim, didn't have any range, and, and he struggled, and he ended up not being brought back. The Wizards pick him up. He gets in the gym, works on his body, in his second year in the league, 10 points, six rebounds, 60% from the field, 33% from three. Last season, 58% from the field, 40% from three, 13.7 rebounds over a block a game. And then this year, even better, age 23, in his fourth year in the league, he's given you 14-6, a block a game, 64% from the field, 43% from three, this is what I'm talking about. Guys that get in the gym, put in the work, and find their way, find their place in the league. I love those kind of stories. I admire those types of players. It's it, it's one of those things that you remember when Sean Livingston had those devastating injuries early in his career. To see him come back and not just make it back and play healthy, but play well and be a big part of those Warriors title winning teams. So, again, speedy recovery to all those dudes and salute to all of them. Love those stories. Love those grinders, guys like that. I think the stars make the league, but those grinders, those dudes right there, those are the kind of guys that help the stars win titles. So my top 10, I didn't do it before the season. And if I didn't, you'd have to know, hey, look, the world's on fire. It's crazy out there. And you know this. Be safe more than anything. You and your families, be safe. The truth is my top 10 going into this season isn't any different from my top 10 last year. I've got Joker at 10, Dame at 9, Steph at 8, Harden at 7, Lucas 6, KD at 5, Kawhi at 4, Giannis at 3, AD and LeBron at a 2 and 1. So maybe that might be the mix-up. I think last year I had Giannis at either two or one. I thought he was going to repeat as MVP. He did. But I also said coming into this season, if he averaged 40 and 15, he wouldn't win the MVP because he is going to be judged now on what he does in the postseason. Even though the MVP is a regular season award, if you nut, if you choke up, in the playoffs, it will cost you. Real talk. And I think it's hurt him to a degree. I'm a big Giannis fan. And I think he is trying to improve his overall game. His struggles from the perimeter, everybody knows. I think what's even a bigger struggle, struggle and I've, I've mentioned this, is the fact that to live in the post the way he does, attack the way he does, he's got to get his free throw shooting up to around 75 80%. 
If not, it will ultimately hurt the Bucs in the postseason. But having him number three behind AD and LeBron, I'm fine with that. Look, the, the reality is AD is more skilled. He is more polished. That doesn't mean if LeBron had Giannis, he wouldn't have won the title. That's just to say that AD was an integral part of what the Lakers were able to do. And when you have a big who can post, but also step away from the basket and hit open threes, it opens up and spreads the floor. So that's my top 10. And I'm sure over the course of the season, it may fluctuate to some degree because really I I thought KD was going to come back, be a top 10 player, but I didn't know how soon he'd be like looking like KD. You know, I thought he'd look like Kevin, but not KD this soon. Right now, he looks like KD, the MVP. He looks like a top three player or a top two player. Hey, look, we want everybody, everybody to stay healthy going forward the rest of this season. COVID's already taken a toll. Guys are already missing games. Games are already being postponed. Maybe the league might want to go ahead and do a double, uh, do a do a a bubble part two. Really get into that because when they had the bubble, those restrictions and the way they kept everything locked down, there were no cases, there were no missed games. They might really want to consider that because if not, going forward, it's going to impact not just the standings, but but the way the playoffs play out. If you go at the way at the rate that things are going right now. So I wanted to get into young cores, and that's something we can get into on the next episode. I like Atlanta's young core. We raved about what Atlanta was able to do in the free agency. Here's the thing, though. Chemistry, coaching, culture, it does matter. And is your best player, no matter what his age is, is your best player a natural leader? Or is that something he can grow into? The Hawks next to the Lakers, have the best offseason. And they're not terrible, but I thought they would be better. I thought with that depth, with the young core, you brought in proven veterans to give them leadership. And Rondo's just now starting to play as well as Gallo, so we'll see going forward. But tonight, or by the time you guys listen to this episode, it'll be Thursday. The talk all day is going to be about the Brooklyn Nets and the potential big three because to me you're not a big three until you get on the floor and you prove it on the floor it's the cypher i'll talk to you all next time